This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. When we read the word of the Lord, it's different than every other word. It's, it's above all other words. It has a power. It has an activity that's unlike Shakespeare. It's unlike poetry. It's, it does something. Hear the word of the Lord from Jeremiah chapter 7, the first, eight, the first 10 verses, and then we will read chapter 8, verse 11. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord. All you people of Judah, you that enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your doings and let me dwell with you in this place do not trust in these deceptive words this is the temple of the lord the temple of the lord the temple of the lord for if you truly amend your ways and your doings if you truly act justly with one another if you do not oppress the alien the orphan and the widow or shed innocent blood in this place and if you do not go after other gods to your own hurt then i will dwell with you in this place in the land that i gave of old to your ancestors forever and ever here you are, trusting in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we're safe, only to go on doing all these abominations. Chapter 8, verse 11. They have treated the wound of my people carelessly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Lord, we pray that by the Holy Spirit, your word now would have an activity beyond the defenses, beyond the hardness of heart, beyond the difficulty hearing, and that you would work a wonderful, freeing, holy, sanctifying work in our whole lives. For the sake of your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, around the kitchen table, 
Our seven-year-old grandson, Hunter, told us about a first-grade classmate of his who could take his fingers and bend them all the way backwards. Hunter was amazed by his friend's ability. And I told Hunter that his friend was probably double-jointed. No, he said, that's not the reason. It's because a shark bit off his arm. And now he has an artificial arm and a hand. Oh, Hunter, that's not true, I said. That's not what happened. But nothing I said could convince Hunter otherwise. Why? Because it's his friend who told him this, and Hunter trusts his friend. All I could think to do was to appeal to a higher authority. Well, does your teacher tell you the truth? I asked. Yes, said Hunter. Well, then ask her tomorrow why your friend can bend his fingers backwards. The next day, Hunter came home with a different story. His friend was just telling a funny story, and he was actually double-jointed. Now, when we hear conflicting words, whose word do we trust? And this is the question that our passage speaks to today. We will look at two things. One, the problem of deception. And two, how we distinguish the word of the Lord from deception by the effect that each has on our lives. So let's look. We all face this problem of deceptive words. I mean, whose word can we trust? It was just over 50 years ago that the best-selling book, Future Shock, by Alvin Toffler came out. And Toffler predicted that there was going to be an acceleration of, of social and technological change that would create an information overload. Does that not describe the world that you and I are living in today? Now, we have information and misinformation. We have news and fake news, facts and alternative facts. How are we to know who to believe? The major, the major news outlets this week showed a video which you probably have seen of Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise doing funny antics and saying clever things. It looked like Tom Cruise. It sounded like Tom Cruise. But in fact, it was entirely fabricated by artificial intelligence. It was deep fake video. Now that's scary. Whose word can we trust? Well, what about scams? Now, Jim and I are of the age that we get an AARP magazine once a month. Maybe you too. AARP, American Association of Retired Persons, it, it's published at least one article every month on how the elderly should avoid scams. The latest scam coming our way are those who will pose as 
government representatives seeking your banking account so they can speed your stimulus check deposit. Don't fall for it. Now, when you think about it, a scam will work because it's something that we actually want to happen. Deception depends upon us wanting something. So if you want something faster or cheaper, you may fall for it. The passage in Jeremiah is about religious scams. Deceptive religious words diverting people from doing God's express will. Religious deception is a problem that's repeated throughout history and it is present with us today. Through the prophet Jeremiah, God declares that we have no excuse for mistaking falsehood from the word of the Lord. So let's begin. Let's begin with that national context into which Jeremiah was born in the 7th century B.C. Jeremiah was born in the last decade of the rule of King Manasseh. Manasseh goes down in Hebrew history as their worst king. The worst. He had a rule of 55 dark and evil years. Manasseh was religious, but he had deceiving religion. He did not limit his worship to the God who claimed his people out of Egypt, who gave the word of God on Mount Sinai to Moses, who brought them in victoriously into the promised land that they would be a light and example to the rest of the world. Oh no, Manasseh was more religious than that. He worshipped any and every god that would advance him and his nation. He used religion. He used it as a means to what he wanted, his own end. Imagine this. Under Manasseh's rule, it was okay to live for the pursuit of money or sex or power. It was commonplace to lie. It was okay to mistreat the most vulnerable in society, the alien, which we read about. Those are immigrants, migrants, the orphans, those who have no defense, and the widows. They represent the unemployed and unemployable. Even murder became commonplace under Manasseh. Life felt like it was poisoned. It was in the environment. It was in the government. It was kind of even in your own thoughts. Eugene Peterson likens the society Jeremiah lived in as a spiritual slum. Now, why is this disconnect between who God is and who God's people had become, and the society that they supported. Do you relate to Jeremiah's time? I believe we can. We do have a problem with deceptive 
religious words. So now we're going to look at, from our passages today, how we distinguish the word of the Lord from deception. And it's by the effect that each has on our lives. Distinguish. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Jesus teaches us to look below the surface appearance if we are to distinguish religious counterfeit from the word of the Lord. Now we see this kind of distinguishing when we consider how businesses teach their cashiers how to recognize counterfeit money. If a business accepts fake bills, there is no recovery for their loss. Cashiers have to distinguish what is real from what is counterfeit. Now, authentic currency, we know, it has a certain feel, a certain texture, but there's more than discerning by feel. Hold a bill up to the light, and I'm okay if you want to try this, even now. Hold a bill up to the light, and in the larger denominations, you will find a hologram appear on the face that is printed there. You will also notice watermarks. You will also notice the vertical stripe with the numerical number printed on that stripe. I could go on and on because our bills are counterfeit proof. So in the same way, we are to distinguish whether what we're hearing is from the Lord or if it's counterfeit. We must hold it up to the light of God's word. This is the revealed word. This is the scripture. What we find in scripture is that God makes himself known. He wants to be known. He wants to be known so that all of us can take the story and experience restoration and recreation as we are united with God and with one another and harmony results. In Jeremiah's time, the society that he was living in, it was held up to scripture. It happened after Manasseh died. Manasseh's son, Ammon, only was on the throne for a short while before he was murdered, leaving a young son, Josiah, as Judah's king. Josiah, after a few years of his reign, he set about to repair the temple, which was in total disrepair. And when he had people at work, there was found a book that was covered with dust. It was stuffed in the corner. It obviously had been untouched for generations. The book was taken by a priest to King Josiah and someone read it aloud. It was the book of Deuteronomy. It's the queen of the Torah. It is how God called his people 
loves his people, calls his people to love us, to love him, and then gives an ethic for life. It's how to order life under the love of God, with God, for God, for the sake of others. It had not been read for generations. When it was Josiah, his heart was cut to the quick. It was a thunderclap of his conscience. He ordered what's called in the Josiah's reform, he ordered all the false idols, those gold statues, all the beasts and monster images in the temple. Get rid of them. Burn them. He said, we're going to start the Sabbath again. You're not going to work on the Sabbath. He said, we're going to start practicing Passover again. They hadn't done that in so long. So we hear that it had an effect in law. Laws were enacted. You do this thing. It's good to have good laws. But did the mandated reform affect society? Did it affect the lives of those in Judah? Well, we look at Jeremiah 7. Following this reform, we have people adopting a slogan. The temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord. Anything repeated in the Hebrew language three times is the superlative. It's the best, it's the most, it's superlative. They are saying, we are God's chosen people. We are in God's house. We're safe. You heard that. We're safe. Everything is fine. They felt like having this outward reform of worship meant that they were all now wearing the same jersey, God and country. We can now call it peace, peace, when actually we hear there was no peace. What's the problem? Well, again, we heard it. We learn that people are still stealing. I read that, sorry about this, in Rhode Island, 43% of all the unemployment claims turned out to be fraudulent. They were murdering. You know that has risen in the last two years. Committing adultery, swearing falsely, Engaging in pagan spiritual practices. Now their outward life looked reformed, but their inner life was rotten. The problem was not that the word of the Lord was not read and heard, but the hearers didn't want to hear. They were not listening for God. They were listening for what they wanted. They were using, if you would, God and religion. Something fast, something cheap, like a scam. But the tragedy is that the scammers were the victims. They were self-deceived. Eugene Peterson likens it to people who dress up every day in wedding clothes and say, 
I'm married, I'm married, I'm married, but in fact share nothing in daily love. No attentive listening, no continued tenderness or intentional giving or creative blessing. Without these, is there really a marriage? Therefore, the Lord says through Jeremiah, verse 1, amend your ways and your doings. This word amend is so amazing. It's make good, make, make right, make beautiful your ways. Ways is the road you're on. That means where you're going in life, the direction of your life. Have a purpose that is so good and so right and so beautiful. People will want to join you in your doings. That is, your day-to-day -day interactions, your thoughts, uh, what you do with your mouth and your words and your, and, your, and your life. In other words, the Lord is saying, I want you to have a character that is holy, like I am holy. I mean, full of life holy. I mean, fully human, fully alive and good, useful. Beautiful. We are religiously deceived if ever we have the word of God and it leaves us unchanged. We may look good on the outside, but we remain a rotten mess on the inside. It's counterfeit religion that really is revealed when the pressure is on. When we think of Nazi Germany, the number of professing Christians giving allegiance to Hitler was 94% of the nation. 94% of those who profess Christ gave allegiance to Hitler. In the Rwandan genocide, 1994, 90% of the nation professed to be followers of Jesus Christ, churchgoers, yet they turned their swords upon one another and killed over one million lives in 100 days. You think, that's not going to happen to us. It's almost like saying, I can pull the blanket up over my eyes and not see. So how do we distinguish the word of the Lord from religious deception? It's by the effect that it has on our lives. Religious deception leaves us unchanged. We are not moving in a direction that's looking more and more like God with goodness and rightness, which means, as we saw, this generosity towards the most vulnerable. This holiness of life doesn't make us better than it makes us able to be with anyone and be right. The way that we know when the word of God has come into us, we see as well by its effect on us. Hebrews 4, 12 through 13. It's like a sword. But it's active. It's living. It has power because it's the word of God who creates. 
who heals, who recreates. Now, a sword that's double-edged means there's no blunt side to it. It never fails to cut. When the word of the Lord comes in, it's like it's a knife going in and it will cut in judgment like it did with Josiah, or it will cut in healing to remove what is not of God. Do you know the story in the Chronicle of Narnia? One of them has the character Eugene. And Eugene's attitude and his behaviors have become so bad for so long He's turned into a dragon, and he's miserable. And he cannot scratch off his scales. No matter how much he works at it, he cannot undragon himself. It takes the Christ figure, Aslan, the lion, with his sharp nails on his claws, cutting, cutting through the dragon's skin to Take Eustace out, bathe him in water that stings like baptism, and present him new and fresh, restored. The word of the Lord does that for us. And it is to be received into our very bodies, just as we receive food. And it becomes part of us. When we receive God's word into our spirit as food is received into our body, we become changed. And we do what the Lord commands. Do you know what they heard in Deuteronomy? Deuteronomy 6, 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. What does it go on to say in Deuteronomy? The ethics of God. Love is how we live. It's whole life discipleship. When Jesus was asked to summarize the whole Hebrew scripture, he said, Matthew 22, 37 following, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That is the greatest and first commandment and the second is like it. The mirror image. It's the other side of the coin. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. What should we do? Well, if you want to discern the word of the Lord, it will look cruciform. It will have a vertical that connects you to God. You see God. You see his love. You repent. You say, I'm sorry. I'm not like you, but I want to. And God, in his word, does something, and it becomes vertical. And you find yourself reaching across the aisle. And you find yourself reaching across the, the, the town to people that are not like you and reaching across cultures, and you find this wide embrace of God. That's how you know when the word of God has made its way into your heart. Do you want it? Whose word are you listening to? Whose word do you want?
Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the word incarnate in the flesh. When we have seen you, we have seen the Father. And so we pray that you would speak a word to us, to unmask us, to undragon us, to heal us and fill us and use us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church, or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.